Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Christina Blacken, who is the founder of The New Quo. And she started The New Quo because she believes that story is one of the most powerful tools for culture change. And The New Quo is a content platform and communication consultancy, helping leaders navigate change and overcome bias by unleashing their status quo breaking ideas into the world through narrative self-reflection, meaningful branding, content creation, corporate training, facilitation, and performances. You can learn more about this at thenewquo.com. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcasts, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. I would very much so appreciate that. Finally, The Grind, which is my community I had just launched in December of 2019. Applications are now open. It'll be closing in January, then reopening up again. But applications are now open. And The Grind is just a community, a curated community of entrepreneurs, creators, go-getters, and digital and in-person, helping people build their businesses, get ideas, get inspiration, make more of an impact together. And something I've been wanting to orchestrate, put together for a matter of months, and I'm finally launching it. Go to justgogrind.com slash the-grind, or you can find it from the homepage as well. But The Grind is now available, now open for applications. Check it out. Without further ado, here is Christina Blacken, founder of The New Quo. Christina, welcome to the show. Hey. I am so excited to have you here and talk about the new quote, but also your your career and things you've done and storytelling and everything we're going to get into. Um, to start with, though, what is the new quote? So the new quote is a content platform and a communication consultancy. And at the core of what I do is help leaders and organizations create meaningful communications that shift mindsets and culture for the better. And I primarily focus on change management. So what is the process of being able to create a culture while change is happening in a company? How do you get someone to think about your change making ideas in a better way? And I do that through corporate workshops and trainings, as well as consulting and getting people to figure out what their voice is and how they're sharing their ideas. That's awesome. And how did this all get started? How did the new code get started? How much time you got? You know, it's a long story. <laughs> it's your, it's your uh, day. Here we go. <laughs> Well, it really started out because when I first moved to New York City, so I'm originally from Utah, which is definitely a place that you don't really see a lot of black folks, but <laughs> I was there until I was 18. And then I moved to New York City after going to Cornell University, which is in upstate New York. And when I first moved here, I really wanted to do something with my career that was focused on having a social impact. So I moved into a few different industries like the law space and then into the nonprofit world. And I got hooked on storytelling when I was in the nonprofit field because I was building these campaigns using communication tools like text messaging and email communication and social media and motivating hundreds of thousands of young people to get up and do something around different ideas. And from there, I was like, wow, there's something here around storytelling and behavior change. And so I went into marketing and media for a while and really loved what I learned in terms of how powerful story is for shaping behavior, for getting people to take specific sort of actions. But I wasn't as inspired by using that tool to sell products and to you know, get people to buy, you know, more shoes or something, which is fine. It's it's definitely has its place, but it just wasn't really resonating with me. And so I started to develop my own frameworks and do workshops around storytelling and different communication challenges I ran into in the workplace as a woman of color 
who was typically the only person in the room, the only one making certain decisions or, you know, being put in positions of power and not really seeing people like myself. And so I started teaching on the side while working full time. And it was experimental because I was like, well, there's this research on narrative and how it affects the brain on a neurological level and the science behind it. So I started kind of experimenting and workshopping it. And over the course of a year and a half, I taught, I think it was 300 plus business owners and leaders on different topics like imposter syndrome and bias and being able to create more purpose in the workplace. And from there, wow. I was like, I think I should do this full time. Like, let's let's just try <laughs> this out. See what happens. Maybe I'll yeah, why not? You know, jump in and survive. And so that's kind of where it came from. Um, and also my platform, thenewquo.com. I started that even earlier, probably five years ago while I was working in these different industries, because I really wanted a creative outlet and to be able to use story to elevate overlooked voices, especially people of color who are creatives and entrepreneurs. So I started writing stories around people who are doing incredible things, but they may not be covered in Forbes or Inc. because they're not Mark Zuckerberg or they haven't raised, you know, $1 million or whatever the the new standard is. So I was doing storytelling that way as well. Yeah. And early on in that, you mentioned like five years ago or so it was started. I mean, what you're writing stories about these people to cover them. What did you? What were your plans for that at the time? You just wanted to get this the word out about these different people doing incredible things. Like, what was the thought then? Then I thought I was maybe going to create a media platform solely. I was like, yeah, I'll just you know create the sort of media engine that can essentially tell the stories that I wish I was seeing and talking to the people that I wish had the opportunity and the stage to share their ideas. Like I, um, for instance, interviewed this one young guy that was from Missouri and he was actually from Ferguson and was around when all the craziness was happening at that time. And he had grown up in a neighborhood where there was a lot of, like so much gun violence essentially that there was a funeral almost every week. And so he started to learn how to code so he could put together obituaries for his classmates who had passed away, just so they would have a way to kind of immortalize those people and commemorate them. And from there, he essentially built this platform and this tech company through this crazy need and became uh, an entrepreneur and essentially a Google fellow. And hearing his story, I was like, this is incredible. He's you know not a millionaire by any means, but I was able to tell a story and to interview him and to dig deeper into how this very awful sort of pain point that he experienced became the motivation and mission for him to go into a field and a career that probably would have never been, you know, available to him in any kind of traditional sense, given where he was from and where he was raised. And so at first I was kind of doing it out of like, this is just cool. Like, I just wanted to talk to these people and see what these stories are like. And then it evolved because I had worked in media full time as my uh, full time job when I was doing the side hustle. And I was like, man, media can be a bit hard in terms of a a business structure. And I didn't (laughs) know if I wanted to get into the, the content mill that's sort of necessary for a traditional media company. So I was like, well, if I was going to choose something that was a better fit for my own personality, the things that I enjoy doing, what would it be? And I fell really into training and public speaking and and workshops because I just love the medium. I love being able to interact with people. I have a performance background. So that was a better fit for me to transition into based on just personal preferences as well. Yeah. And early on with that, I mean, how are you finding these people to find these stories like were they coming to you or pursuing them how did you get them 
Some of it was me just putting an ask out. It was, uh, I think at first I put an ask out on Facebook where I was like, hey, I'm launching this platform. I want to speak to people who are creatives of color that have done something incredible and kind of gave my parameters. And then people would just email me and reach out to me and say, oh, I have this friend of a friend. Um, And then that's how I kind of got the momentum going for that. And then I did that for a little while and then tabled it. Um, because I was like, well, I don't know if I'm building a content platform in this way. So let me let me think about it again. And actually, now I'm working on a new project, which is a podcast as well, that's sort of the same sort of structure, but now it's audio based. And so it's a way to kind of revive the love that I had around elevating overlooked voices. Um, but yeah, it was really yeah. just referral based, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially once you start putting the word out there that you're doing something, it is amazing how things can happen from that, right? I mean, even like my podcast, looking at people coming to me now and different things through through growing it, and it's just like, yeah, you put the word out there, you start you start growing, and start putting putting content out there, and good things can happen as as well. Um, it's true. And then it's true, and especially yeah. I think sometimes if you, I think people underestimate when you claim something and you verbalize something you want, how quickly people will respond to either want to support it or maybe push you a bit further ahead. So be ready, right? Because sometimes you can be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this thing. And then you're like, wait a minute, I didn't expect this many people to be referred. So I think people should also prepare for that sort of the positive side of putting your ideas out there and and saying what you want to do. Yeah, and especially if you have some great people around you, you gotta be careful because you you say an idea, and then you're like, they're like, oh, so what what's going on with your idea? You're like, oh shit, I should probably actually do that, right? Um, it, <laughs> which is which is helpful, but it is kind of can be uh, can be scary as well. But you know, if you do speak that into existence, you you have a chance of actually doing it, which is great. It's accountability, man. Got to have those accountability friends. Exactly, and then p- progressing. Then you said as a side hustle for you know years while you're working full time, and then at, at what point in time? Like how did you get to the point of actually you want to go full-time into this and that you were ready to do that? So it's such a new development. I recently left this year to pursue it full-time and it kind of came about uh, almost two years ago. I was thinking, you know, if I really want to create the things I want to create and show up fully into what I think my purpose is, I think I have to do it on my own and sort of figure it out on my own terms. And so I started to make a plan on what I would need to be able to exit my job. So how much money I would, what I need saved, how much uh, traction would I need in terms of potential clients? How many conversations should I be doing? So I kind of made a, a plan and a rough estimate of when I wanted to exit about at least a year, almost a year and a half in advance. And from there, I was just sort of moving towards that goal and I was like okay if I get these particular milestones down then I'll feel comfortable and be able to sort of leave on my own and I was actually working at a company at the time that was really going through some crazy like pressure cooker style changes it was it was a hot mess there's no other way to describe <laughs> it and I had you know enjoyed the job I had learned so much I like my coworkers. I was making really good money but the culture was eroding dramatically and I knew that I was reaching the end of the road in terms of what I could learn and what I could gain from the position. And I didn't think anything was going to turn around or get better. So I was like, okay, this is a sign. I think it's time for me to exit and to really pursue my dream. Cause I'd always wanted to work full time for myself and had always seen myself as somebody who's sort of a mogul that balances multiple projects and multiple things. And I wanted to put my money where my mouth is. I had been saying for years, this is what I want to do. So I was like, let me do it now. I don't have a ton to lose. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to, you know, traditional job or to an organization. So I was like, I'm, I'm ready to do it now. And the funny thing is, in 2015, I had done this random 
reality show online, which was pretty crazy. It's like a crazy story that's super long. <laughs> but how I got into that is I had been talking to friends about the new Quell platform. So the original version of it, the sort of media thing. And one of my friends was like, did you hear about this casting call for this entrepreneurial show? And she sends it to me. And essentially, I end up getting on this crazy sort of branded experience that was supported by Revlon and Elle and Cosmopolitan. And I won the show and got $10,000 from this crazy show. And I was like, yes, what? this is it. You know, like, you know, Laverne Cox was the host of this thing. We had multiple episodes with people who were super notable, like the editor in chief of Cosmo at the time and all this stuff. It was like 2015. And so I took the windfall and was like, OK, this is it. I'm going to launch. I'm going to go. And then my family had a ton of stuff happen that year. We had people pass away. There was just like health issues, car accidents, all types of stuff. And so at the time, it wasn't because anyone asked me to or my family demanded it or anything. I just felt really guilty of trying to make this thing while my family was really suffering. And I think I just didn't have the capacity or the energy to build in the ways that I can now. So I think it was a good thing that even though I won that show and I had all that momentum that I didn't leave and do my own thing at that time because I don't think I was ready. So sometimes I think it's okay to wait and to get more experience under your belt and more of a plan together because actually working in the companies that I've worked in was a almost a crash course in business. And I think I yeah. wouldn't be as savvy in certain ways or as, you know, resilient in certain ways in terms of the ambiguity and the roller coaster of things if I had left earlier than I did now. Yeah. And that's, I love all, all the things you said there too. And especially with like you planned out for, you know, a year and a half or a year about what it would take to actually go to leave the company and go full time into your, your own thing. Cause it is a process for that. Uh, especially, you know, if everyone only sees the venture backed route, there's so many other routes to become an entrepreneur, especially depending on what your, your idea is and, and going through that process then and working everything in the side. So was this a nights, weekends, mornings? Like when were you working on your, your own thing? Oh my gosh, it was all it was all types of hours. I will say though, I'm one of those people, and this is probably why I've picked. And I love that you brought up the VC route in the conversation of that, because I don't think we talk enough about the many alternative routes to business and the many types of businesses someone can build. And there's so many ways to do it, and not necessarily VCs the only path. So I knew I was like, well, I want to build something that I have full 100% creative control. And yeah. that means it's going to grow really slowly and it's going to grow over time and it may have its limits in terms of profits in certain ways. And I'm okay with that because my values around the autonomy and the freedom is much more important to me. So I made that choice and essentially I was like, okay, well, what can I get done each week towards my goals? And I would break my goals down into six month and three month goals and then have like sort of a weekly checklist and I would fit it in when I could even sometimes with, with downtime at work if I had like a couple hours between like calls or meetings so I was just putting it in into my calendar when it fit it could be a couple hours during the day it could be an evening it could be a Saturday thing but I was still keeping up with like friends and balancing my social life so I was doing an okay job I think I was pretty much balancing most things because I was kind of chipping at it slowly and putting reasonable expectations of myself with getting things done um, <laughs> yes. and, and that's just my style I'm one of those people who I, I would never be happy with working 15 hours a day every day I just I know myself and I'd burn out and just be super unhappy with it and I was also lucky I had a very flexible creative job so I could you know, work from home a lot and do certain things. And, you know, there sometimes I was on the, on the job taking calls where I probably shouldn't have been, you know, doing stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think the flexibility of my creative job and also just 
being reasonable with the milestones I was trying to hit each week was really the way that I balanced it. Yeah. And I, I like what you said there too. I mean, it's so important to figure out what's best for you, right? Everyone has their own thing and there's no reason why you have to work 15 hours a day. Like, especially if you're, if you have a job, it's well-paying and you're, you know, the path you're on to become an entrepreneur and you, you're liking where you're at, like by all means go, like, it's perfect. Like that's, that's awesome. That's kind of the dream anyways. And then, and then going through that, like take me through like when you're actually decided like now is the time to quit. What was that like? So <laughs> <laughs> what a, it was kind of crazy because the company that I was at had so it was a media company that went through a really wild roller coaster in the media. They were sued by a celebrity and essentially bought multiple times by different big entities. And the final time they were bought out was by an equity firm. And it was sort of the the big narrative around the company was, okay, equity firms are great because they'll be hands off. They just think that, you know, we're going to do our thing and continue to be profitable. <laughs> They're just going to make us, you know, incubated and essentially sell us when we keep, you know, doing what we do. And that was far from the truth. I mean, these people from this equity firm came in and really pretty much integrated themselves in some fairly crazy and almost toxic ways very early on after buying the company. And that top-down pressure was leaking into the teams and the management in all those teams. And so I was getting some of that pressure. There was a lot of microaggressions. There was a lot of bias. There was a lot of really unhealthy, just un unworkable situations where I was like, oh, th my timeline might be speeding up because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, life is too short to be living like this. This is it's right. way too stressful. So I decided to move my timeline up. I think it was like a month. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to give myself this. I gave myself a hard deadline of when I was going to put my notice in and had also told myself, okay, this is just a couple more weeks earlier than I had planned. And it's better for me to do this right now because I just don't know where things are going to be. Like our, our jobs are changing. People are getting fired left and right. I didn't think I would be fired. I, I was told multiple times that there were certain people in the company they really wanted to stay. So it was the opposite when they heard that I wanted to go. It was people were upset about that. But yeah. yeah, it was just sort of seeing the things around me and seeing that, okay, this is this is the time. Because if I continue to stay, I'm going to lose the passion and the, the fire to continue with my stuff if there's so much drama and so much angst that's being bled into my full-time job. And it was also becoming like longer hours and just – kind of unreasonable because people are really stressed out in this sort of new environment with this new owner and trying to prove out that the thing that they bought was worth what they paid for, you know? So being right, in that environment, right. it's funny. Sometimes I think the the most painful parts of our lives can also be points of inspiration or inflection points. Like before that, I'd been fired from a job before and I'd never been fired. I've been working since I was 16 years old. I've had the craziest jobs. I've worked in, you know, an airbag facility. I've sold cut code knives. I've like, I've done all types of things <laughs> and I've not been fired from a job before really. Yeah. And I got fired from this job because I wasn't a fit. And this is right before the, the job I'm talking about now. And I remember how down I was at the time. And then the opportunity I got after was like the best thing that could have ever happened for my career. And I think sometimes that's what people need. You almost need sort of that kick in the pants or that push off the cliff to yeah. force yourself to make the things you want to make because you don't have any alternatives. You're sort of forced to create and to be resilient. So I think being in that environment was actually a blessing as it forced me to, to leave and to leap. Yeah, which I mean, it's that's crazy, and it's, it's it is recent. You said too, so knowing that uh, the change, you had a flexible job too, which was 
which is great. And then knowing that you then went to full time in your own thing. I mean, what was that like in terms of like schedule in terms of what you were thinking of thoughts wise, like, Oh my God, now it's on me. Like take me through that process too. So I had, and I'm st- it's still a work in progress for me because I'm still trying to figure out what's the best structure for myself. But I typically look at my work in a couple of buckets, which is um, connection. So who am I connecting with this week and why? What conversations am I having? And how is that helping me to build or move forward or create good partnerships or potential clients or relationships? Um, creation. So what are the things I'm making? Am I putting content out? Am I developing something that people can see my point of view or how I'm of service to them? Um, enlightenment is the other bucket. So what am I learning this week? And what am I using from the books I'm reading or the podcasts I'm listening to? And the other one is liberation. And I think liberation for me is is publicly speaking and sharing my thoughts in a person-to-person way. And so I kind of look at my weeks like that. And then I'll take the, act, the activities and tasks that I have in those buckets and schedule them out into my schedule. And they, it doesn't always go exactly as planned. Like sometimes I move things around or sometimes things are missed. But for the most part, I try to structure my days where I'm getting the the biggest moving needles towards my goals kind of done in a week and then essentially leaving my evenings and weekends free to relax to hang out with friends to see people like I'm just and that's probably the opposite of a lot of other entrepreneurs who are like I'm working all the time like I'm just not that kind of person (laughs) I I do work hard and I guess I do think about my my business and my ideas a lot but I'm not necessarily producing and in it you know 24 7 I'm I'm much better when I I'm actually it's probably awful and maybe a, a bit of the result of me having such like pressure cooker deadline jobs, like I'm really good with deadlines. I'm really good at like high pressure, get this done in a week kind of thing, which is kind of bad. So I think <laughs> sometimes if I'm like close to a deadline, then I, I like kill it. I have like the best work. And if I don't, I'm just kind of luxuriating. I'm like, eh, deadline's all right. Like we got time. Yeah. I always hit my It's deadlines. funny you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being in the uh, MBA program at USC, I see that all the time <laughs> with deadlines, yeah. both personally and with my friends. It's just like, oh, this deadline, you re- it's hard to move sometimes on certain things unless there's actually a solid deadline where you have to get this done, especially with group work and everything else. It's like it, it does get pushed back. It's easy to see that. But then once you see clearly, this is due Monday. <laughs> like It's amazing how fast people can work and produce yeah. some pretty good stuff too. And it's also <laughs> learning for me to respect my own deadlines. Like I'm really respectful and very planful and and do things well ahead of time for client deadlines. But when it comes to yeah. my own deadlines, so like building the business or, you know, having certain proactive getting ahead of things uh, activities, I don't respect my deadlines as strongly as client deadlines. Like I still work towards them, but I might move them a week or move them another week. You know, I like I'm flexible yeah. with it because it feels like there isn't quote unquote any repercussions. This is my own deadline I've made up, but I'm trying to get better with really making that a hard deadline and respecting it versus being like, Oh, I can, that's flexible. I can move it around. (laughs) Um, So that's been a a big part of it. I would also say another part is especially because a lot of what I do is training and speaking and workshops and teaching. I do a lot of practicing. So when I have a, you know, so I recently, I just did a training actually on Monday for a creative agency around imposter syndrome and confidence and teaching them narrative exercises on how do you overcome self-doubt, which is a crippling issue across the the country, really in the world and even in the workplace. We all have self-doubt in certain ways, especially high achievers and people who are presented with new opportunities or taking risks. So I was teaching 
activities and techniques that they can use to come overcome that. And I would, you know, schedule time in my schedule previous to that to just run through things, practice it, make sure it's smooth. And that's probably the performer in me. Like I just make sure I always practice the stuff that I do. So I spend a lot of time setting aside parts of my schedule to practice my materials and to make sure I don't look like a fool in front of people and on stage. <laughs> of course. Of course. So that's a lot of my work days too, are sort of like, okay, three hours of practicing for this thing. Yeah. And and thinking about your, your business model, your of your company. So there's a few different things you're you're working on, a few different things you offer. I mean, how do you look at uh, getting clients or growing the business for each different kind of thing and like what is the you know obviously biggest money maker versus uh things that you should enjoy more like how does that work with your business that's a really great question so i recently created this sort of master brand document and in that brand document i have sort of an offerings will and at the center of it i say okay here's what the mission is of this company which is to really redefine leadership and work and to have people just really live up to their fullest potential and, and using story to help them get there. And then I have these different sections around the wheel, which is sort of the offerings on the organizational side, which is all of the trainings that I do. And those and you really can put those in like a learning and development bucket. So professional development and the other side for the individuals. So that could be entrepreneurs or small business owners is branding and communication focused style stuff. So consulting work. And then these are sort of like pie in the sky. Um, sections of my offerings, which is the the podcast that I'm doing, sort of like content development, still keeping the media platform that I had originally created and using that as a way to sort of evangelize the ideas that I'm talking around narrative and change and using those as not only just a way to get people to understand what this work is about, but also to potentially get more clients or relationships. And then the other category, I eventually want to develop some products. So products people can use to actually figure out what sort of stories and narratives are affecting them in the workplace or even personally. So whether that's conversation cards or being able to make some sort of uh, journal style focused product where they can actually use narrative inquiry, which is what I teach in a lot of my work to get through certain communication challenges. Um, so I look at those four sort of quadrants. And honestly, what's really interesting is the organizational training stuff is it's it's a big moneymaker because right now learning and development at most companies is growing because they can see there's a huge breakdown in engagement and retention and satisfaction. We're actually yeah. in the first time in history, there are more jobs open, specifically in the US, than there are workers who are qualified or want to take those jobs. More and more people are either becoming freelancers or independent or essentially not moving from certain jobs. And so companies are really hurting for retaining talent. And so they're thinking, okay, how do we make our cultures better? How do we get away from this toxicity, away from this very traditional sort of patriarchal old school thinking about this cutthroat business style and you know expand what we're doing and they're making more and more budgets around all these hot topics of change management diversity and inclusion which i talk about in my work and, and do training on and um that area is growing but because companies are still sort of new with being able to set aside budget for it it's slow conversations so when i'm yeah. talking to companies about this the sales cycle is really slow so that's also why i have these sort of individual one-on-one -on -one consulting offerings because the sales cycle for that is faster, but the budgets are smaller because typically it's one individual who's the decision maker, but they've got a smaller budget versus a big organization who has much bigger budgets, but five different decision makers. So I try to right. balance those two and it's still, you know, I'm still learning and growing with it, but I think having the mixture of both allows me to 
hedge some of the risks of the longer term sales conversations with the big organizational trainings and also allows me to have that one-on-one relationship with people that you know I really believe in like I was recently working with a woman who has a research firm and this research firm is focused on hard to reach populations. So people who have HIV or Muslim women or individuals who are typically ignored in research and she helps companies to better understand these populations. And I helped her to pretty much rework all of the copy on her website so she can better convey what her theory of change is, what makes her different, why her work is compelling. And that was really fun. And it's just sort of a a personal consulting project I took on for her. So it's nice to be able to have the balance and to not depend i think every business should come up with just a few offerings you don't need a lot and i actually learned this from i follow this woman um that has a company called the middle finger project and she's (laughs) sort of funny she has a very tongue-in-cheek approach to like small business marketing and structure essentially and she had this really great course called the 100k freelancer i don't think it's available anymore but it's very pragmatic and practical on how do you structure your offerings so you can make a hundred thousand dollars on your own terms very simple right it's like how do you set the math to make a hundred thousand dollars in a year and how do you structure your offerings in certain ways so that you can think about the amount of clients you would need every month or on retainer or whatever your structure is to be able to hit that. And she had really smart thinking around pricing that I, I started with when I was building my, my company. And I think if I hadn't done some of those trainings, I'd be like, well, we'll figure it out. I don't know. You know, just kind of flopping <laughs> it around. But she was really smart in terms of like, here's how you can make clients longer term and put things into retainer and all of that. So it's stuff I'm still experimenting with and sort of figuring out. But I think I'm getting into a good stride with the balance of them. Yeah. And with the, even with the corporate clients, with the bigger clients too, I mean, how are you approaching which ones do you want to go after and like the, how are you actually pitching them to get work? I'm just curious about that whole world of how that even happens for you. Yeah, I first started out with, so I'm a LinkedIn sleuth. I think LinkedIn is one of the most powerful platforms that is really underutilized when it comes to business. Uh, And I don't like, I'm not saying the people who just like sneak up into your DMs and try to hard sell you. I hate that. I hate (laughs) that all the the time. It's the worst. They're like, like, hey, I heard that you're speaking at such and such and I could train you. It's like, no. But I've, so what I did was, okay, I really want to be able to connect with more people in learning and development because they are the decision makers. They're the ones who are essentially at the heads of putting trainings into their companies. And so before I left my job, I was just doing research on LinkedIn and looked at friends of mine who I, who I actually know, not just like people I randomly connected with one time five years ago or something, but people who I really knew that had connections to people in learning and development. And I would email my friends and just be like, hey, you know, I'm trying to build my connections in this space because I would really love to help people with these particular issues and trainings. And I see that you know these three people in L&D. Would you be comfortable with connecting me with any of them that you know well enough that you'd be okay doing that? And I had a couple of introductions made that way and was able to have some pretty good momentum and conversations with bigger companies like Harry's and Lyft and Square and DoorDash. It's like companies that are fairly, you know, well-known startups are moving in, in the world. And I think if I hadn't really ask for referrals, it probably would be a lot harder because it's like a warm introduction. They know that person. And we're having a conversation where I'm saying, hey, I just really want to learn about 
sort of what your structure is, what you guys are focusing on, what your goals are, what your philosophy was really almost sort of like an informational interview versus a hard sell. And I think informational interviews are powerful because it it takes the pressure off. It allows them to just kind of like make a connection with you and not feel like they have to immediately buy something from you or whatever. And it just allows you to make that connection. You never know where it could go later. And then I also... At, at some points, I've spoken at like conferences. So this summer, I spoke at a conference called HR Uncubed, and it was really a conference focused on what's the future of HR? How can companies get their shit together? Like, what's sort <laughs> of the thinking around this? And I did a, a talk there, and it was a similar talk that I did this week around imposter syndrome and confidence. And the people who saw me speak came up to me after and asked for my information and my contacts. And I've had people follow up with me from that, being like, hey, we thinking about you for a training. We loved watching you at this event. Like, would you be interested? So I think public speaking, especially on the topics that are related to your business are super powerful for referrals and potential clients and just referrals from friends of friends. The other one that I've tried to, that's still growing is finding a common connection with people when I'm doing that cold outreach. So because I went to Cornell, there's a huge Cornell alumni network. And when I was looking on LinkedIn, I'd find people who've also, you know, graduated from Cornell and I make the connection there and just reach out saying, Hey, I'm a fellow Cornellian. I'm trying to get more information in the space. I'd love to connect with you on this particular sort of topic. And I've had some great conversations from that too. Yeah. And that's awesome. There's so many ways to reach out. LinkedIn is so amazing. I mean, it's such a powerful platform to get started with. And then to your point of having that warm connection, that also is is, is so needed. It makes it much easier. And even with the other show I um, I host called Startup 2.0, interviewing a bunch, of, a bunch of different venture capitalists, and they're always mentioning you know, the way to get in touch with them is to have a warm intro. And that makes it so much easier for them to vet you and then give you an in with them uh, if you're trying to raise funds for your company, if you decide to go that route. So that's a, it's so important to have that warm connection. If you can find anything in common or a person in common, imagine it makes it much, much easier. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's relationship building because I don't think anyone wants to be to be reached out to because they have something you need and that's the only reason you care about talking to them. You know, I think right. most people are very adverse to that. And weirdly, I've had some clients come from like randomly talking to people. Like I went to my friend's birthday, like 30th birthday party a couple of months ago and I met one of her friends and and she just asked me randomly what I do and I was kind of passionately talking about it and she's like oh we should get lunch so I got lunch with her and she ended up becoming one of my clients and it was like not even a planned thing it was just sort of when you talk openly about what you do and you you say it in a way that feels authentic and real you just never know who will connect with it and who may want to work with you yeah exactly and then even to go deeper into that point kind of in terms of storytelling which that's what you do what are some key elements aspects of that and how do you or how do you teach people how to actually tell better stories well, a big aspect of it is uh, what I call narrative self-inquiry, which is reflection and digging into your own personal narratives around your defining moments in your life and career, because we have a ton of running scripts about our lives and about how the world works that affects everything that we do. And a lot of that is unexamined. And I think when people take the space and time to sit down and to take inventory, it's a powerful step because you can get clearer on your own purpose, what your voice is, the w- wisdom and lessons in your experiences and the ways that those anecdotes can be used to give context and color to the things that you're trying to share and teach other people. And so that's a huge part of my process is getting people to really 
powerfully use self inquiry and writing specifically to unpack and uncover all of that stuff and to, and then define which parts of their lives, whether it's their personal experiences or things that they've learned and seen or things that their organization has gone through, which of those can they use strategically to be able to shift mindsets or to drive action in the ways that they want to. And so I think but the interesting thing about that is storytelling is a natural aspect of being human. I think it's like 65% of all daily communication is story. So we are doing it all the time. And a lot of the time we don't even know that we're doing it <laughs> and teaching people how, yes, you're a storyteller naturally because you're a human. It's funny because people are like, oh, really? Like, oh, I didn't realize I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I do this all the time. But then also the science and the power behind it, it motivates people to be able to think deeper about their communications, to attach more meaning to them, to provide more vulnerability and authenticity. And why story is so powerful for that is really it's the only form of communication that we have that generally puts you into the shoes of somebody else, into experiences and other worlds. Like think about Game of Thrones and how powerful that show was. And it was really about it was a standard good and evil storytelling line in a lot of ways but it allowed people to have these really deep philosophical conversations about life and about motivation and psychology and why people do what they do and why some people are self-preservationists and some are selfless and do things that seem silly and sacrificial and I think it's powerful to see how much story can force us to have these deeper meaningful conversations past diverse lines and so that's what I love about story and really what I teach and Ultimately, regardless of whatever communication somebody creates, if they're able to incorporate powerful storytelling, it's going to be much more memorable, much more impactful and really drive towards whatever goals that they're setting. Yeah. And and with that, too, I always wonder, um, as someone who does workshops and teaching and everything, uh, how do you then go and learn more about storytelling and develop your philosophy on that and any resources you suggest to people to help as well? So I've picked up a couple of um, books that I think are really great. There's one that's called Do Story, D-O Story. And it kind of talks about the key elements of what makes a really great story. I've taken some, you know, online workshops or writing classes that have been really powerful. I took a writing class from Gotham Writers a couple of years ago that gave a the key elements of how do you make really powerful writing and ultimately use your personal narratives to create a story. And that was really helpful and interesting. And then I read a lot of research around, you know, the times that institutions have studied how story works, like how your brain fires when a story is told and what's happening to you at a, a cognitive level. So all of that's just come from digging through like social science research and excuse me, Googling lots of different uh, research papers. So it's kind of a combination of lived experiences, social research, other people in the space who talk about story or teach about it, and experimentation. So I'll put together frameworks and ideas and just experiment and teach it and see what the responses and reactions are and sort of tweak it over time as I'm putting it out there. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. There's so many ways to to learn and grow and develop kind of your own your own thoughts about uh, around it, and then how you actually go and teach that. And where do you see, or where I guess where do you want your your business to end up? Like, what's kind of the the grand vision for for the Nuco? That's such a great question. I was thinking about that a lot after seeing the list of questions you sent. I'm like, hmm, mm. <laughs> where do I see this being in five years? So one of the things that I've said is, so I'm a solopreneur right now. I'm doing everything on my own, yeah. like doing my own writing, my website, all the client work, the sales, the marketing, everything. I don't see myself necessarily growing into a traditional company, but I would like to have 
a team of of creatives that I collaborate with and I contract with, whether they're designers or photographers or writers who help to bring a lot of these ideas to life. That would be amazing. And also my goal really is to create a movement to really get people to think deeper around narrative as a tool for personal change and organizational change. And my goal within the next five years is to touch 500 organizations, which probably sounds crazy, but I would love to be able to say I've helped 500 organizations create really meaningful, inclusive, purpose-driven cultures through the power of narrative and through the power of these sort of workshops and trainings. Um, and yeah, I would love to have it be at, at the minimum a seven figure business. So that's what I'm working towards in the next two years, which is, you know, chump change for a lot of people. And I'm sure for a lot of VC companies, it's like 25 cents to them. But to me, being able to say, you know, I generated profit on my own terms, operating super lean and built it into a seven figure company would be an incredible milestone and something that I'm looking forward to doing is I always speak things into existence. <laughs> so that's, that's part of it too. Just really building profit in a way that feels meaningful and mission driven and not taking concessions or getting into the pressure cooker treadmill of borrowing money. Cause that's what VC is. You're pretty much borrowing a big ass loan and then proving out that your idea is worth it and chasing growth sometimes over sanity and health. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, essentially trying to, to prove on a slow growth model that I can maintain my creative integrity, maintain the the mission and impact and purpose of the company and do something in a sense that is making some scalable impact at a social and cultural level. Yeah, I love all that. And there's so much to that with with having the business, even a seven-figure business. And that's, you, can be, you can honestly be making way more than anyone in a venture-backed because even if you look at the numbers of a venture-backed startup, one, many of them fail, which is bound to happen. It's kind of what they're doing. But two, in terms of the amount that the founders actually make, a lot of times is very, very little compared to what you think based on, your, oh, this company's valued at this much, but you know how many, how much were they diluted? How many investors did they have? There's so many factors that go into that. Uh, and ultimately, they need to exit and they may have money on paper, but not necessarily liquidity. And so there's a lot, there's so much to that. I think Rand Fishkin talked about that a bit in my podcast where uh, the numbers were, I think he had an exit where he could have cashed out 25 million for the company. And he actually owned a lot of it, which has been millions of dollars, like 8 million maybe, but then he ended up not selling. And then the numbers, the way they worked out, he would have had to, I think, go to like 200, 300 million um, after being, uh, after having his equity, you know, decrease to actually make the same amount. And it's just not that, that point yet. And he's with a different company now. So there's so much to the VC route that people need to understand. It's not always <laughs> what you see in the media is people making all this money off it. There can be some amazing businesses um, that are making six figures, seven figures, and are a lot better for the founder themselves. So I love it. Uh, I think that that sounds like a great goal for, for you as well. And uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how that evolves and one of the things with asking the question with so many people now is I, I'm curious to see as the podcast goes on, looking back at those questions, how many of them hit mm. that or not. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, this is my accountability. We're going to look back and be like, Justin, Justin, remember I said. Right. Remember I said. I mean, but you know, the funny thing, I was yeah. thinking about this this week. I was like, so I was like, man, I made more in one hour of my time than I used to make in a month when I first was working <laughs> in New York City. Crazy. And I think people need, you need to take, inventory of that like to me that means a lot 
I think to some people they're like, well, you know, because so for instance, I'm in a professional speaking group because a lot of what I do is professional speaking. And all these people are like multimillionaires, New York Times bestsellers, and they probably are making double the, what I make when I do trainings and workshops, right? But for me, they, and you know, there's a saying that's all over the internet now, which is comparison is a thief of joy. I think we just don't take enough inventory of the things that we've achieved. And so for me to sit there and be like, that's some dope shit. Like I actually <laughs> am making huge progress and I've been able to dramatically increase my income since 2010. And I pretty much when I was first starting out in the corporate space in traditional ways. And that's super like telling because I came from a family that we don't have a ton of college educated individuals. They're super hard workers. We've always tried to strive to do the best that we can, but I came from a poor family and a single parent home. So I'm like for me to be able to break a lot of those, those assumptions and stereotypes of what someone can do from the circumstances and continue to build momentum to me is more important than anything else than saying I need to make so many millions of dollars in such a short amount of time. Because that doesn't always mean, like you said, it doesn't mean that you're actually making an impact or making something people need. Like a lot of the time, things that are made are profiting off of people's self-doubt and insecurities. So I would never want to wake up and say, I did all these things, but it's empty and it's meaningless and it, maybe it's even harmful. Like I'd much rather do something that I feel like genuinely has impacts, not just from the profit standpoint, but from behavioral standpoints, from all these other ways that you can measure success. That's not just the money. Yeah. Yes. All of that. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, one of the last questions I want to ask is just anything else uh, in terms of lessons in your career so far, or anything you'd, you'd want to mention to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs out there? Yes. The first thing I would say, and this probably is so fitting as I was talking about a narrative of self-inquiry is question why you want to become an entrepreneur or to build a business. Because I've had a lot of conversations with people when they say, I want to build a business. And it, the only reason why is to make money. Now, making money is important. We live in a moneyed society. It is an inevitable tool that we need to exchange goods and commerce, et cetera. I get that. But at the same time, if someone's building something solely just for the money and they don't care even a little bit about the problem they're trying to solve, they're not going to have the steam or the momentum to weather the storms because you will have storms regardless of what kind of scale or success you have. There's always when I say like scale, I think people don't realize that even big companies that seem successful, they've got problems. They just have a different scale of problem. Every single person is you're never going to have a, a life devoid of problems. And so. To me, it's like really take note of the why behind what you're doing, what you're making. Is it because you are really driven by uh, curiosity and research? Are you really interested in like product design? And you love being able to like innovate and create the next most efficient tech scalable thing? Is it because you want to make a certain sort of social impact, whatever it may be? That's important to keep in mind because it keeps you motivated in those dark and down times. And also, I think there's nothing wrong with working for somebody. In fact, I think more entrepreneurs should work for someone first. I've met many entrepreneurs who I can tell have never had a job or they had <laughs> a boss and they don't have basic one-on-one information or ideas on leadership, on team management, on structure. Raising money is not the only part of building a business. There are lots of other parts of building a business. And when you work for other people, you get to learn what to do and what not to do. And I think me being in four different industries, I worked in law, marketing, the nonprofit world, publishing. I got to learn the lay of the land in so many different angles and spaces from marketing and sales and contracts to strategy to 
How do you manage a team? How do you develop people's skill sets? So I think it's important and it's okay to work for somebody. And there's nothing wrong with that because you learn and also you become a better boss and a better leader yourself. So those are the two. It's don't feel ashamed if you're working for somebody. And in fact, you probably should. So you can be a better leader and business manager and to think about the why behind what you're making and be clear on your values and really try to align the structures of what you're doing with the values that you hold closest to why you're doing the things you do. Yeah. And Christina, where can people go to learn more about you and all that you're working on as well? You can go to my website, thenewquo.com. That's T-H-E-N-E-W-Q-U-O.com. I'm also on Instagram a lot, just at my full name, Christina Blacken, or at The New Quo. And yeah, you can see me, you know, posting things and doing little city vi- silly videos. I'm constantly <laughs> sort of making really ridiculous content because that's just who I am and the kind of the personality that I have around the stuff that I do. But yeah, go to thenewquo.com and sign up on my email list and keep up with me. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link all that up as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast for all the show notes and everything. Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much. These are great questions too. I'm going to keep them in mind and I would love to answer <laughs> them again and go back and be like, Ooh, Oh, I was right. Or, Oh, that's changed girl. Like this is yes. not what you think anymore. <laughs> yes. Looking back with it will be, will be great. And also with your podcast coming out eventually, I don't know when this, your plan is, but we'll also have to revisit that as well. Yes, that's Sway Them in Color. That's going to be coming out very soon. So excited about it. Um, it's going to be creative conversations on acts of creative courage, all from people of color. And yeah, it's been super fun to record it. So I, I love the fact that more and more people are getting into podcasting. And as you know, and it's a great medium to have like these deeper, meaningful conversations. Agree completely. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out The Grind, which is a community where entrepreneurs, creators, and other go-getters can connect digitally and in person to build their businesses, get ideas and inspiration, make an impact, and support others pursuing their dream. The goal of this community when I created is, is really simple. It's to use our collective experiences, skills, connections, and unrelenting ambition to make a bigger impact on the world. And during my time at USC, growing this podcast, attending conferences. I've met so many incredible people and wanted to have a way to connect them, a place where they could reach out to each other, get support, but also then just leverage the skills we have to do more. And this community is exactly that. Learn more at justgrind.com slash the dash grind. You can also find it from the homepage, justgrind.com. Check it out. Thank you.